0: Hallelujah! Praise
1: to your and Jesus. Alleluia.
0: Alleluia. Alleluia.
1: Alleluia.
0: The Lord be with you, and, and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory we'll to you, O oh Lord. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with the fever. He immediately, immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on him. When it was evening after sunset, they brought him to all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursue him, and on finding him, said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go out to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching, and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest gifts of my life, wholly undeserved, without the ability to even deserve it, was that I was able to share a birthday with my grandma, my dad's mom. My mom's mom died uh, when I started kindergarten, more or less. All I remember about her is that she was soft and squishy and smelled like cookies and lavender. (laughs) But Grandma Mac, I remember very, very well, and not only for the birthdays. But one birthday in particular really sticks out. It wasn't my 16th when I got a driver around for the first time, and it wasn't my 21st when we shared our first and last shot of whiskey. It was my fifth, and the reason I remember it is because I was very, very sick. I was a very, very sickly child, in and out of the hospital a lot. i just started kindergarten. My birthday's in October, so I'd only been in school for a month and a half or whatever, and I was looking forward to my first real birthday party, like with people besides my sister and cousins. And I got sick, and we couldn't do it. So my mom felt bad. She tried to make it up to me as best as she could, but I was lying there on the old pink couch that used to leave its pattern on your face when you slept in the wrong position too long, and, and, and I was cuddled up under a blanket. I had terrible chills, uh, and, and the TV was on, and people were, they'd made a cake that I couldn't really eat. She was trying, and it weren't working, not even a little bit, until Grandma came in and saved the day. This wasn't Mary Poppins. She didn't suddenly bustle in and take over Mother's kitchen, make the food that Mom had forgotten I liked or something like that. She didn't immediately sit in the middle of the room and take over, start telling a story, and distract me from what bothered me. She didn't even come in with the magic remedy to heal me of my sickness, even though she was a cardiac nurse in her own right. No, no, that isn't what she did. Instead, she assessed the situation, wiggled her finger, called my mother over to her, and they chatted. Now, when I was a kid, this gospel come up, And uh, the priest would have to make a joke about mother-in-laws, mothers-in-law. But that isn't what happened. I I never got the jokes as a kid because my mom and my dad's mom were fast friends. So some grandma chatted to mom and they disappeared back into the house. And grandma came back out about five minutes later in one of mom's nightgowns. Now she did this because she didn't live with us yet. And so she didn't have any pajamas at our place, but she wanted to show me she was going to bed too. So she put on one of mom's nightgowns, which looked silly because my mom was almost six foot tall and my grandma was not quite five foot tall. (laughs) So she looked like a little girl wearing her mom's clothes, puddled all around her feet. And, and she came over to that couch where I was and she said, move over. And she snuggled in right opposite me. So, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, head-to-toe style. And we had our birthday party together. Under the blanket, on our sick bed. And I still couldn't eat very much, and I still felt rotten in my body. But I don't know that I've ever felt more loved, cared for appreciated. What we're reading through right now, the last three weeks specifically, are are sort of the uh, entry montage in the movie of Jesus's life. It's the first 20 minutes of the story where they're setting the scene for everything else that's going to happen. So they show you two or three scenes or vignettes to get an idea of this character. And what does this character do? Well, he walks up to people at work and says, leave everything you have, come and follow me. And inexplicably, despite their better judgment, they do. And then he starts wandering around and coming upon possessed people. And he starts talking to things that appear not to be there. Demons inside other people. Hey, you, get out of here. This is also very strange behavior. People don't do this every day, even in the ancient world. And then today, he shows his true colors, because whereas last week he spoke with authority and so the demons fled in fear, and the week before he spoke with, 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 with a voice of, of allurement in order to draw the fishermen out of their boats, today, today he does the most human of all things. He bends down to someone who has been bent low by illness. He takes her hand in his, and he lifts her up. It's that simple it's not magic he doesn't wizard the thing he doesn't even lay hands on the way he usually does to show the passage of his power in the most human of gestures imaginable i've done it yet tonight taking the other's hand in yours and lifting them up see we imagine oftentimes that jesus is meant to operate in our life like some kind of a superhero I got a problem, I don't know, dial Metropolis, Superman, swing in, something like that. So, I don't know, my wife gets sick or my kid gets on drugs or something bad happens and my regular pattern of daily prayers, which are kind of perfunctory, suddenly become real serious. All right, God, I promise I'll do better, I'll go to confession more, I'll say one of them Navina things, I don't know, but just do this. And, and, And we expect that if we do it or if we do it right, if we say the right prayers in the right order, or if we we just keep our nose clean long enough, if we stay in the state of grace, that God will magic our heart's desire. He'll manifest what it is we've been wanting all a while. And it's a lie. It's a dirty lie. It's first a lie, because that is the fastest way to get people to lose faith. It don't work that way. Anybody been doing this more than about two weeks knows it don't work that way. That's not how the faith operates. This isn't a lowball sell. It, it was never intended to work that way. And so if you, if, if, if you make grace sound like candy, which can be doled out upon request, if you turn the church and her sacraments into vending machines, you're always going to wind up disappointed. The truth is something much more profound. It is more costly, but its effect lingers and changes us. The truth is, Jesus doesn't run around like a magician, zapping away our problems. Even when he does take away the problems which we've pleaded to be removed, it's because it was better for our soul, better for us in the long run, not just because it was a pain right now. No. Rather, he promises to come to us in our suffering, to take our hands and lift us up, which doesn't mean the fever always leaves. But it does mean that we can work even through the fever. It doesn't mean that we'll never get sick again. To the contrary, we will. And we will die. Every one of us. And in that death, which we now share with God the Son, we have the capacity to come to life again. God doesn't promise to take away our problems. He promises to make us new. Now and later, but let's just focus on the now. Because, of course, what follows the healing of Simon's mother-in-law is the next episode in the TV show. What follows is his vision for us. Rising very early before the dawn, before alarm clocks, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and finding him said, everyone is looking for you to come back and fix all the problems. He told them, let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also, for this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. And next week's chapter, and the next, they do too. Jesus shares out his work. He doesn't hoard it for himself. And even the the, the fancy stuff, the stuff that looks magic, he promises to those who follow him, you too will drive out demons. You too will heal the sick. You too will you too must lift up those who have been bowed down by illness, by age, by infirmity, or by life's woes. Now, of course, we can't do this on our own or simply because sort of cognitively in our heads we recognize our connection to Jesus. This has got to be enacted like in life, which is what the sacraments do, which is why the sacraments are so important which is why we place so much attention and value, especially on the Holy Eucharist, which is why we come here each week, week after week, not to receive a Jesus vitamin, but to encounter him face to face, to come as close to him as did Simon's mother-in-law, so that rising from the kneeler, we would know ourselves lifted up, so that we could do the same for those we meet. So bring your illness and your infirmity, your transgressions and your struggles. Bring it all tonight. For as we sang on greeting the gospel, he bore our infirmities. He healed our offenses. And he will tonight, if only we let him.